Welcome everybody to the Retail Corner Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about how to keep sustainability in the forefront of a luxury brand. And in order to do that, we are here with none other than Audrey Torjon. I believe I said it right. Maybe I butchered it. My French is not that great. Audrey, uh, before you know, I let you speak, she has been a brand manager at Michael Kors. Then she went to go be a global buyer at Dior. And now she's the director of planning and allocation at Frank and Oak. How are you doing today, Audrey? I'm good. You? I am doing great. How how did I do with your last name? Uh, not so bad. I've I've seen not worse. So... Oh. <laughs> okay, I'll try to feel good about that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And and before we really you know get into the topic of the conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Uh, Frank and Oak, what you guys are doing, what's exciting, you know, kind of give us a quick overview. Yeah, sure. So um, I completed my Bachelor of Commerce at McGill University. And when I graduated, I started working for Michael Kors at the head office in Montreal in the leather goods department as a brand manager. So I had multiple hats. I was taking care of a little bit of the merchandising. I had accounts as well with Holt Renfrew. So I spent about three years there. Um, and then I decided to move to Paris and do a full 180, go and uh, go back to school. So I went to Institut Français de la Mode and I did a master in international luxury management. And after that, I had to do an internship and I selected, well, I was selected more by Dior uh, in the leather goods department. And I went on to work actually for Dior for about three, three and a half years. Uh, wow. After that, uh, the pandemic hit, so it was a little more cha challenging to stay mm -hmm. far from home. So I decided to come back and worked for Essence for about a year. And then Frank and Oak recruited me to, be, uh, to lead their, their department of planning and allocation. So I've been there for about a year and a half now. And I'm saying uh, things are moving quick in this company. It's like a startup. So it's great, to be honest. Oh, that's exciting. That's very, very exciting. I'm actually going to uh, Paris in, uh, in July. Uh, well, July, August. So I've, I've been there a couple of years back. I remember it was so warm uh, during those months. You know? Yeah, yeah. July, August are, are honestly extremely warm. But it's good because all the Parisians are out. So they're going to have a good yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. The only thing I didn't like is there was no ice anywhere. Like, literally, <laughs> there was no ice for your drinks. And you're so accustomed to having ice here, you know? Yes. But, uh, But anyways, so uh, Frank and Oak, tell us about Frank and Oak. What what you guys concentrate on? What you guys are doing? Who's your target audience? Mm -hmm. uh, and what projects do you guys have in the upcoming year? So at Frank and Oak, it's uh, actually we celebrated last year a 10 year anniversary. It was a startup that started in Montreal as uh, initially was kind of a, um, a subscription box with multiple products. And then it evolved quickly uh, in becoming a fashion brand. So it started with men's and it was really selling a lifestyle. We had barbershops in the, in the stores and you would get the subscription with the different types of products. And then a couple years uh, after they started, they introduced women's wear, so clothing again. Um, and uh, in 2020, it was a little more difficult. It was a more challenging year. And um, it got bought back by UCG, Unified Commerce Group, um, an American yeah. group that is focused on uh, sustainability mainly. Um, and so we're trying to bring back Frank and Oak to what it used to be. Uh, and and we're, we're focused really on fashion so premium fashion uh, and why we say premium because our pricing is a reflection directly of our sustainability sustainability efforts apologies 
Um, and, and, and being sustainable requires uh, different types of fabrics that are, are sourced sustainably, which are naturally more expensive as well and more premium. Uh, so we, we really push that angle um, and it's super important to everyone in the company to be sustainable, especially in the context right now. So uh, that's what we do. We try to offer to everyone something that is accessible and, and sustainable in the fashion industry. Nice, nice. And, and when we talk about sustainability, right, I think there's a, there's a perception that it, that it comes from so many different angles, right? It could be mm-hmm. operational, it could be, you know, how your company runs, supply chain, uh, processes and procedures, right? But for, for, from your perspective, right, really from that allocation and planning, when we talk about sustainability for a fashion brand, right, what does that entail? That entails a lot of different things. Um, when you talk about planning and, and alloc- well, allocation in a little bit less, but when we talk about planning, we're really in the structure of the company in the financial side. But essentially what you do is that you build a budget to then spend right? So you need to make sure that you support the right programs in terms of CAPOC or, or different, different types of fibers that I'll explain in a bit. Um, but in the planning sense, when you push those products and those fibers, that's when you become more sustainable. So it, it's a matter of looking at the entire assortment and making sure you're investing your money in what really counts for your customer. Because ultimately, what you need to do as a planner is you need to minimize the end inventory and maximize. We're not gonna. We're not gonna say that we're not uh, doing like a pro bono work, but we're a profit company, right? So you want to maximize your sales. Um, so you want to really find that fine to find balance in between styles that work and that the customer wants, styles that support your fabrics that you want to push and your sustainability goals. And then minimize at the end your leftover because we don't want to promote overconsumption at all. So that is kind of a goal really in the planning department to make sure that we, we ensure and streamline that process so that we, we maximize our, our inventory levels really. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and how do you guys really leverage the sustainability aspect, right? Because I know for a lot of consumers right now, that is very pivotal, right? Very important. Whether your brand is sustainable, whether it's, it's giving back to the environment, right? Or to a community group. Uh, so do you guys advertise on this or how do you guys really put that flag out there, right? All the efforts that you're doing and that most brands do, I think a lot of consumers many times don't know, right? What's happening yeah. behind closed doors. And but however, nowadays, the more and more companies are putting it out there, the more the consumers are creating brand loyalty, right? Because of those efforts that are happening in the background. So what are you guys doing and what do you recommend our listeners to do in order to really promote all the effort that happens? Absolutely. No, it's a super valid point that you raise because what are the red flags as a consumer if you're looking for sustainability and someone says, yes, we are sustainable, but if you can find anything on how or why they're sustainable, that becomes really much of a challenge. So for, for us at Frank and Oak, on the larger scale, we try to get certification. So B Corp, for example, um, we have been certified B Corp and we're reapplying right now. And that is extremely tedious as a process uh, because to be certified B Corp, you have to prove concretely what you're doing and what actions you're taking towards sustainability. But really more in my job, in my day-to-day, um, we work with different types of fibers. So I spoke about Capoc, for example, earlier. And Capoc is not something that people know that much, but it's a very sustainable fiber. And it comes from um, 
a seed pod from a tree in the rainforest, but it doesn't wow. require for you to farm it. It doesn't require any pesticides. You don't need to cut the tree or the plant to get it. Well, it's a very large tree. You don't have to cut it. You just have to harvest the pod, which will then regrow and then pull the fibers out of the pod. And when you compare to cotton, for example, or other types of natural fibers, Kapok actually requires much less water to transform. So ultimately pushing that kind of fabric, even though it is more expensive, will allow us to come into a, a circle that we provide to the consumer, not only the fiber, but we also train them and, and educate them because that's a big part of who we are, educating the community and pushing for that kind of knowledge and, and consciousness in our community. You push that and then they, they know about us, they know about what we can offer and they come back to us. And as it grows, it's like a ripple. We can invest in more and more natural fibers, no more and more um, fabric research and development really to find other options than the traditional ones that we know. And that pollute a lot. So <laughs> education is really, really central to Franken Oak. So that's just maybe on the sourcing side, but also in terms of um, garment, like in terms of, for example, distribution, which could tie into the allocation. We mm -hmm. did partner with Bolt, um, a distribution slash warehouse company um, that use only electric cars to deliver. So oh, wow. That's that's another effort that we kind of kind of uh, implemented in our efforts to really become sustainable. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And, and I think one thing I, I want to ask you is, I think a lot of brands, right, and, and a lot of perceptions from executives has always been, hey, if I have to educate the consumer on my products, then then let's change the product, right? Because it's always been perceived in, in the past and not so far far away past that if you need to educate your consumer, your cost of engaging that consumer, right? Your cost of acquiring that customer just becomes so big, right? But I, th I think the past maybe eight to 10 years, I see more and more companies blossom and succeed that are going through the educational journey, right? And so with that, and of course, with your experience at, at more typical or, or more, um, how would I say this, uh, brands that have a, a history, right? Like Michael Kors, like Dior, like Sims that you're talking about and that you work for. Do you foresee more of these brands taking that risk and starting to engage uh, and not be so afraid of that educational, you know, process with the consumer? Or do you think that we will continue to have, you know, the typical way of doing business and then the, the way in order to educate and enrich the environment? I think they have to. They, they have no choice but to do it just because the consumer base changes and, and the issues that we had 10 years ago are not the issues that we have nowadays. So when I started my career at Michael Kors 10, 15 years ago, uh, sustainability was not top of mind in the fashion industry. It was far from it. Um, yeah. So we weren't really discussing those issues. I, know, I don't know now if it's something that is more important for the company. I'm pretty sure it is, as any company. Um, but that wasn't something I was faced with, really, on a day-to-day. Um, whereas Dior is a very different concept because it's an uber luxury brand. So the entire concept of slow fashion kind of counteracts against fast fashion, which is the most polluting part of the fashion industry, really. Um, so the concept of slow fashion and, and uber luxe intrinsically is a little more sustainable, I would say. 
But mm -hmm. even when I was in Dior, I mean, five years ago, we weren't talking about Donald Trump, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter, the wars, the pandemic. So none of that had happened. So I think really in the last three years, the, the discourse and the angle that companies take are really more um, applied to the shock that everyone went through with the pandemic, notably. So, for example, LVMH as an entire company, I know that they support a lot of, a lot of uh, initiatives. For example, Guerlain had the bees. They support bees all in the entire planet. Um, there's Dior that has women at Dior because it's also a sense of community, like you mentioned in the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. And Sephora mm -hmm. recycles some products, some empty containers. So there's a lot of initiatives. But I think that going forward, it has to be more upfront. And we have amazing chance to have a, a great CEO, Dustin Jones, who uh, really helps us in putting that forward. He doesn't mind pushing certain ideas. He doesn't mind pushing certain fabrics. If we've never tried it before, we don't know necessarily how it's going to last, but we, we try because if you never try to really engage with what you're speaking about, then you might have a problem long-term. And, and the new generation is also looking for that. They're looking for sustainability and, and really how to be more conscious about the environment. There's, I was watching a, a documentary by David Attenborough and he was saying that the new generation is extremely anxious about what's going on in the world and the environment because they don't think that it's going to be there in, in 50, 60 years. So they're really more conscious. And if you don't speak about it, that's a missed opportunity for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's always as consumers, right? We have this emotional connection, right? And before, I think it was so centered to to our ego, right? Uh, you know how we looked and the brand and the big name and this and that, you know. But now, as exactly as you said, I think that emotional connection is more uh, from a survival standpoint, right? And maybe it's a combination of the pandemic and seeing such a big impact, right, from from an incident that happened from a biological standpoint, and then seeing, hey how much more is this planet going to be here for us, for, for our kids, for future generations? And that has created a lot of emotional connection and awareness uh, into how do I help the environment? And with that, uh, uh, as an expert, how do you recommend, you know, for, because a lot of our listeners are also consumers, right? we're all consumers at the end of the day, um, that we can all contribute, right? Be beyond, hey, let's look for, for brands that say sustainability or brands that say, hey, we're helping the environment, we're helping the turtles or the whales or so forth and so on. What can we do as consumers? Because it goes beyond just, just retail, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Clothing, it, it's every single product that we consume. How can we do a better job? It's a very complicated question, but much more simple than we actually think because um, I was, I just ordered a book, an essay from Alex Leach that just came out and, and the world is, it's called the world is dying, but we're still buying shoes. Right. So <laughs> I love that title, <laughs> it is, but it is, it is true. We're going to still mm -hmm. continue. And, and I think that there's a quote in that book, in that essay that, um, mentions it's, it's just a sum of all small efforts because you and me on our day to day, we're not going to change the world, but if you do better and I do better and your neighbor does better, maybe that sum is going to change the world. And so consciously or not, but hopefully consciously, you can try to really educate yourself in which brands offers what and, and really find, as I was saying, 
earlier, their efforts, if there's no efforts on the website that are stated, then that's a red flag. So maybe don't buy from Forever 21. I'm not saying it's a bad brand. I'm just saying maybe if you want to be more conscious, buy into a brand that really pushes that. And we're lucky in this day and age because there's so many brands that are emerging that are actually extremely sustainable, extremely eco-friendly, extremely recycled. So it's not that we don't have the options, it's that people don't necessarily look for it. So for example, if we're thinking about the giant H&M, God bless them. They have an amazing distribution network and they have started to be more sustainable. They have 20% of their assortment that is sustainable. But when you think about the scale in which they operate, there's 80% also that is not sustainable. So if, if you do shop there, try to get what is sustainable. So that 20%. Know, mm -hmm. That 20%. Look for that 20%, find it and, and get that instead of getting the other gene. Maybe it's not the same fit, but at least you'll have an effort towards the right direction. And that's what we really want to push is efforts in the right direction. And that's why we try to also you know, nourish that community at Frank and Oak because it is important, but we also want to support other brands. So we have been partnering, for example, with Thousand Fell Shoes um, and with Thesis Brain Boots that are only used with, uh, only made with uh, sustainable fabrics, for example, so, or eco-recycled fabrics. So it's, it's very important for us to make small steps as consumers and really understand where you're buying from. Do you actually need it for sure? And if you do, make sure that maybe you have a plan. If you need a new pair of denim, bring your old pair of denim to recycle. It's, it's small steps like that that will all bring us in the right direction. Absolutely. And uh, I have one last question for you, you know, and I ask, always ask this of everybody. If you have one piece of advice for all the entrepreneurs and you know, all the executives out there listening to us, uh, <clears throat> what would be the one piece of advice that you would leave them with based on all your experience so far? Um, I would say trust your gut. To be honest, <laughs> it really is because usually your gut is there for a reason and, and obviously do your due diligence. But if you have an idea and you really want to stand by it, stand by it and do it fully and, and surround yourself with people that will support you. Like our CEO, for example, you, you choose your company that you're working for as well. Right. So make sure that if you really believe in something, do everything you can to follow that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you hit something pivotal, right? If I mean, life is so short and we spend so, so it's a little years a week, right? Mm -hmm. So why not find the right company that works for you and the things that you believe in so that you're passionate every day of your life and what you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Audrey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all the insight. We greatly appreciate it. And we'll have Audrey's information uh, here at the bottom of the screen and also Frank and Oak. So if you guys want to check it out, if you have questions about sustainability or how to get the certification <clears throat> or anything like that, I'm sure Audrey and team would be happy to, to guide you guys in the right path. Uh, Audrey, thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody. And we'll be here in the next episode of the Retail Corner Podcast. You guys tune in next time. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.